to know. Praise the Lord, man. What a glorious morning. You know, to hear worship and just it thrills my heart. But now we have a, a, a glorious responsibility, and that is to study the word together. So if you would, please, turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel. We're still in Luke's Gospel. Remember, we are going through the life and the ministry of our Lord, keeping it in chronological order. So that's why sometimes we're in Luke. Uh, in, a, in a week or so, we might venture off to Matthew. But we are getting close. We really, not, not time-wise, but to, to the end of his, of his life. He's only really a little, a week of, um, away from going to Jerusalem and dying for our sins, man. And, and so that's where we find ourselves this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And we'll pick it up at verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and he spake a parable because, they, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should appear, well, should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a, a, a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds your translation might use the word mina. Um, same thing. And, um, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his servants hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom... Then he commanded those servants to be, uh, to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that, they, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound has gained you ten pounds. He said unto him, Well done, thou good faith or servant, because thou hast been faithful in every um, little, or in very little thou um, I'm sorry, have thou therefore uh, over ten cities. The second came and said, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that which thou layest, um, layest not down, and reapest where thou didn't sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest that I was an austere man, taking up that I lay not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, wherefore then gavest thou not, or thou my money unto the bank? That at my coming I might have inquired my own with usury or with interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him that pound, give it to, uh, to him that has ten pounds. He said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which 
which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those my enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before, before me. Would you stand again with Bible in hand? Father, we thank you for your word. And um, again, Lord, the, the, we just ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would come and just be our chief instructor. Lord, would you please, as it were, give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Father, again, if there's anyone here today that's distracted, <laughs> I know I am, Lord. I just pray, God, for such a time as this. Would you please help us just to focus in and just help us to receive that which the Holy Spirit desires to pour in our hearts. Father, just help us to set aside the cares of this world for just a moment that we might be blessed with your word. It's in your name we pray and everyone said together, amen, amen. Well, just again to, to uh, remind us of the context, uh, Jesus had indicated to his disciples that they were going to Jerusalem, and he lays it out for them. Uh, he tells them that he is going to be handed over to religious men, and they would mock him, and then, then he would be handed over to the Gentiles only to be scourged and beaten and then he would die but at the end he would say but I will rise from the dead you know and it went right over them they just they didn't hear it they didn't hear it and I know that because they started to argue who would be the greatest in his kingdom and then who would be able to sit one on the right and one on the left if you remember that was a month ago I think we were there and so, but they made the journey anyhow, and they had started to approach Jericho. As they're coming up to Jericho, the, of course, they run across uh, a blind man, blind Bartimaeus, and uh, he cries out when he hears it's Jesus. You know, he had heard the stories of him healing the blind, and he just cries out, you know, and he calls him a messianic term, by the way, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Man, that got everyone's attention. And of course, that beautiful story where he calls him to himself and he comes over to him. What do you want? I want my sight back. And, he, and you know, he spoke his word and Bartimaeus received his sight. And of course, that, that generated some excitement and he then moves in. And just for you guys that are into the maps, sometimes you'll see an old biblical map with two Jerichos side by side. The ancient Jericho, and then, of course, one that Herod the Great had reconstructed there and wanted his own palace there. And so there's some history there. So as he's going through, now we don't know if he's entering in and coming out the other or whatever, but now he comes across this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. A wee little man was he. And um, he was there up in that, of course, that sycamore tree uh, to get eyes on him. He was just small in stature, just a small guy. And of course, as Jesus approaches him, he looks up at Zach and says, 
hey, buddy, let's go to your house and let's eat. And again, that caused great commotion. You know, now he is indeed the friend of the publicans and the friend of the sinners. And we really don't have, and this is what I love about the scriptures at time. We don't have what he, what he had said or the dialogue between him and Zach, Zacchaeus. All we know is something has, had happened there as they were feasting at a meal. An all-day thing. And there he is. And all of a sudden he goes, oh man, indeed, salvation has come to this house. Even this one, a son of Abraham, has been changed. Zacchaeus said to the Lord, if I've ripped anybody up, ripped anybody off, the guy was a thief, you know, and he was raking it in and he didn't care about you if you were raising kids or not, man, he was going to get his, you know, whether it caused hardship for you or not, but then his heart was changed, you know, he, I, you know. It's me. I, I just sometimes like to kind of think, well, what Jesus shared with him was none other the gospel. The reason why he came and where he was going in a week's time, he would be in Jerusalem dying for the sins of humanity. He's telling this to this wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he was telling him. And then it changed his life, that message. And then after he's done with Zacchaeus, He had said something in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, you and I, if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, we understand that, don't we? That Jesus came to seek, to save. Amazing grace. Yeah, we get it. They didn't. Because as soon as they heard, he came to seek and to save Right away, especially the religious Jews, because they definitely had a different interpretation of verse 10, as it were. You know, they thought to seek and to save was exactly what he came to do. He was going to make his way. We're going there anyway. We're a week out and he is going to come. He's seeking. He's going to save Israel and he's going to remove the Roman yoke. He's going to remove the domination of Rome. See, they were looking, again, for a conquering Messiah. They were looking for someone who was going to finally set them free. The Old Testament prophecy that he would return the scepter of Judah back to them. The right to rule and reign themselves. Under, of course, the banner of their anointed Christos, their Messiah. That's why Jesus gives this parable. Now, this parable has been read through, I'm sure, by all the scholars. But especially today, it's being so misinterpreted. So we really have to take our time, tap the brakes, as it were, you know, to slow down a little bit. Hopefully I'll be able to get it done in the amount of time I have. But anyway, I hope you kind of get a grasp. Again, making his way, there's great excitement. He's going to go into Jerusalem, going to remove the Roman domination, set up his kingdom. See, in the Old Testament, there were scriptures concerning the Messiah that did portray him as a conquering one. Almost, I don't want to use militant, but maybe we could. Military type thing, you know. It tells us in Zechariah 14.9, and please, to save time, let me just read the text to you. You can write it in the margins of your Bible. The Lord shall be king over the earth, and in that day 
It shall be said, the Lord is one and his name is one. Psalms 22, verse 27. At the, end of the wor- at the end of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he will rule over the nations. That's what they were expecting Jesus to do when he would get it, go into Jerusalem. He would finally be ruling. He will stop talking this nonsense about going to Jerusalem to be marred and to be beaten, to be spit upon, have his beard yanked out. Man, we don't want that kind of thing. We want Jesus ruling with power and with authority. You know, there are more than one verse or verses in the Old Testament that kind of Um, ruled in their hearts, you know, that kind of took up residence in their hearts. There was so, well, Psalms chapter 2, if you remember, why do the nations rage and the people plot uh, vain things? The king of the earth uh, set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds of peace, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord will um, hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and and distress them in his deep displeasure. Please just listen to the wording. On my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said, um, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will give it, give you the uh, nations of your, as your inheritance and the end of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Now, it just doesn't quite sound um, like... You know, what Jesus was saying about going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die for them. When you read these passages like this, they thought that he eventually would overthrow and become the conquering king. But the Messiah is also betrayed, um, um, portrayed in the Old Testament as also a suffering. And I won't go through all my cross-referencings. But you know, and I'll probably even read this tonight when we come together to break bread. But Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll just, we won't do the whole whole chapter, but starting with verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace, the punishment for our peace was upon him. Now that doesn't sound like Psalms 2, does it? Again, it goes on. We are like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, all our sins, past, present, future, has laid them upon him. Why? Eli, Eli, Lama Shabbatani. God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that time... God judged his own sin on our behalf. You got that, gang? So in the Old Testament, there's a picture of him being a conquering king, a ruling leader, removing the domination from them. But then on the other side of the coin, as it were, we see Psalms 22. They pierced my hands and my feet. All they that walk by me, Shake their head and wave wave their finger. Oh, he saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. As they cast lots for my vesture. 
as the bulls of Bashan and the dogs can pass me and leap, gape upon me with their teeth. I think that's the demonic realm. He did suffer. So, so again, Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 53, 750 years prior to his venturing into, into, the, into Jerusalem. 750 years. You know, the question is, why or, or did they want to reconcile these two different verses or two different comings? Well, I just think that they just purposely, the religious leaders purposely just chose scriptures that were more attractive. I mean, who wants to talk about a suffering Messiah? Who wants to talk about those scripture verses that picture a, a man hanging on the cross and demons kind of jeering at him, laughing at him? We don't want to do that. We want to give the people, the Jews, a more positive message. We want people to understand that God is going to eventually, you know, release us from this Roman domination. Well, listen, gang, not to get off course here, um, but that's happening today in Christendom. There are some people that are just afraid to address the more pointed scripture verses in their Bibles. Things that they just don't maybe can't wrap their minds around or... Maybe they don't want to think about today. There is such an effort to be more relative. You know, let's, we, this is the millennium. You know, we've got to address the millennials. Well, I, the millennials, whoever they are, they don't want to hear death. They don't want to hear repentance. They don't want to hear that someone died. Just like back then, we don't want to hear about Psalms 22. And, and what we have before us is the same thing happening today. We need more of a positive message. And we need people to feel good about themselves. Listen, listen, listen. The, the only thing we can ever feel good about as it relates to us is for by grace that we were saved through faith that not of ourselves it is a gift of God. That's the only thing I can say I feel good about. But it, that people don't want to hear that today. They're more concerned about just being relative. Listen, there are two comings. His first coming depicted a suffering Messiah. His second coming, which we find in the Old Testament as well, his second coming, he is coming back. We just studied that Wednesday evening, chapter 19, the book of Revelation, right? He destroys his enemies by the word of his mouth and by the brightness of his coming. He comes on a white horse riding, you know, with a diadem on his head. He has the armies behind him, armies plural, meaning angelic, and his bride coming back, destroying his enemies. Yes, he is coming. But they didn't want to deal with two comings like that. They were just concerned about, hey, you're going to Jerusalem? Great. Now let's get this first coming, what they thought the first coming or second coming. Let's get this over with. Now what Jesus was concerned about is this considerable block of time. 2000 and running between the first the uh, between the first coming and his second coming so about 2000 and what this what this parable does now stay with me gang what this parable does it shows them in this parable and it shows us today what we're to do in between the two comings and of course 
we read the, the word, you know, to occupy. And we'll touch on that in just a second. But go back to your Bibles. Again, look at verse, uh, verse 12. So therefore he said, because there's this, this crazy opinion, he's going to set up his kingdom immediately. He has to give this parable. That's why the therefore is there. A certain nobleman. You can put in your margins, you know, a, a man of noble birth. You can also put a ruler. You could put a king. He went into a far country to receive, and again, bad translation. It literally means to take, because the kingdom of God already belongs to him. Jesus doesn't have to go anywhere to receive it. He is only going to receive something that already belongs to him. Make that, you understand? You remember the book of Revelation? John, he sees, the, uh, he sees the throne. He sees something in the Father's hand, and it was a rolled-up scroll. It was called the title deed to the earth. John said he looked in heaven, he looked on earth. No man was worthy to go up and to receive that or to take that. And then he falls down, he's weeping, and all of a sudden, sorry for the Revelation lesson, but all of a sudden he, he feels a hand on his shoulder. The angel says, no, 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 stand up. He says, behold, the lion of Judah. And good old John stands up and he look, turns around, but gives us a different description. He goes, no, 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 no. He's a lamb as though he had been slain before the foundations of the world. See, he's going to take his kingdom. It already belongs to him. See, so remember that. Satan's kingdom's here on earth. He can have it. But Jesus' kingdom is coming. Amen. So this parable of the nobleman speaks about him going into a far country. But there in verse 12, you've got a highlight, but he's coming back. It's a picture of Jesus going away and then coming back again. Cross-reference, again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible because of the context, mainly. Peter just says, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll stick with you thick and thin, buddy. You know, you know, Peter, 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 I appreciate that, man. But listen, before the crow um, crows, you're going to deny that if you even knew me. In fact, you're going to swear and curse that you never knew me three times. That's why John 14 comes into play here. But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my father's house, many mansions. And if it were not so, hey, I would have told you, behold, I go and I want to prepare a place for you. Because where I go, I will return back and receive you. Hey, this king, this nobleman went away, but only to return. Our Jesus went away. There's a block of time, 2,000 years and running. But he's coming back, kids. He's coming back for his bride, man. He's coming back for his own. We're going to see this in this parable. He goes on. Oh, and also, just where is he now? We know that he's on the right-hand side of the Father, right? He has taken up that place. His work is done. That's why we see him seated and not standing. He's seated. He's making intercessions for you and I. He's presently still preparing that place for us. Behold, I go prepare a place for you. That where I am, I will come. He's going to call his bride. He's going to receive us to himself. We're going to go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. I've really been dealing with a lot of this in Revelations lately, man. been just stoked about it. But listen, he promises to return. But now notice verse 13. And so he calls ten of his servants... Now, he calls his servants. Now, the ta the, in the Greek, it literally means 
his own. These servants belong to him. We're going to see later on there's going to be another servant that doesn't belong to him. But they belong to it. And that's us, by the way, in this parable. You don't even belong to yourself. Do you understand that? Do you, you know when you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Hey, just by a wave of hand. How many of you have made him your Lord? Can you just do this at me for a second? There you go. Do you know what that meant when you called him Lord and Savior? Really what you're saying is, I have relinquished even my own rights. Curios, that Greek famous word many of us like to throw around, literally means, Lord, I hand you over my rights even to govern myself. You're my Lord. No wonder every now and then I get hammered by the Holy Spirit going, wait a minute. You want my will higher or do you want yours? Oh, man, Lord, I'm sorry about that. Not, not my will, your will. That's what I want ultimately. Your, the, 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 the model prayer, give us this day your daily bread, is it? Your, your will be done on earth as where? Is it, it's in, in heaven, right? Every morning wake up, Lord, not my will, your will. You know, sometimes I really, really mess up my life by trying to do Harryisms. Amen? Anyway, so what he says, he calls the servants. He delivers them these ten minas. I think that's the new king. I got different translations up here. Old king, I think it's called pound. What a mina was back then, uh, it was actually a Greek coin. It was a Greek coin, and it was equivalent to three days, three days of wages for a, a, a workman, someone with, in construction, someone blue-collar. It was a three-day wage coin. And that was a pretty good amount of money. You know, you find one of those in your Christmas cards, man, you had it down, you know. But anyway, what he does, and I want you to see this, is that he gives each one the same amount. So what we see with this nobleman, he's an equal opportunist, <laughs> Equal opportunity, you know? It's not like, oh, I'm going to give one a little bit more than the other. Whatever he's given to them, they all have the same equal amount, right? And again, uh, let me I'm just go through my notes here. Um, what this represents to you and I, though, when we interpret this for us, remember, a parable. A parable, and I'll say this a couple times, a parable is an earthly story. That usually they're familiar with. You know, you and I were not farmers, so when Jesus talked about there was a sower sowing seed, we had to dig a little bit. You know, if Jesus was giving us a parable today, he probably would talk to me. Now, there was this auto painter who painted cars. You know, and one day, you know, he would talk, or there was this computer geek, and one day he pushed the wrong key. Something like that. But see, they understood. When he started talking to them about this, this parable, which is an earthly story thrown alongside of a spiritual principle. Remember, parables are not given to give us doctrine, not even theology. It's the, a spiritual truth that he's trying to convey to them. Oh, Lord, you're going to establish the kingdom right now. And then, oh, my goodness, now, therefore, he's got to tell an earthly story with a spiritual principle to show them, nah, it's not the way you think. Everybody with me so far? What he's showing us in this for us today is that each one of us, we have been given a mina, which represents the gospel. And it's the same equal amount. 
There's, there's not one doesn't have more than the other. God is an equal opportunist. So when he tells us that we were saved, Jude says we were saved on the same ground. Common salvation means the same ground. That means we all met at the cross. There was a point in our lives. Mine was 1973. Yours might have been somewhere else, but we all met at the cross. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the good news that he took our sin. That's our mina. And that's what he said to do, right? He said, here is your mina. Now, I want you to occupy. Here's the gospel. I want you to do business. Here's the gospel. No, don't take this wrong, but I want you to trade and increase it. Let's keep going down. When Paul the apostle, when you read through his epistles, he always referred to the gospel as if it was a mystery. To you and I, it's not a mystery. To many of the Jews in the Pauline letters, when he talked about the death, burial, resurrection, when he talked about, and again, sorry for the Greek words, the ecclesia, when he talked about that, it was perplexing to them. They didn't understand. What are you talking about? Communion. Paul would say, that which I receive, now I deliver unto you. It was a mystery to them. They thought the Passover was taking the cup, taking the bread, but representing my body, drinking my blood. It was all a mystery. And so this whole thing is a mystery. The gospel was a mystery to them. But even in the world today, and I'm sad to say, even in the church today, the gospel is becoming more and more a mystery. See, this is why there are many people today that are trying to minimize it at best or totally do away with the gospel message. Why? Because with the gospel message is a message of repentance. And you can't be relative. You can't be positive when you need to tell people you got to repent for crying out loud. If you're saved, God puts you on a different path, a different road. He puts you on a narrow road. And there's not many that find it, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a ton of people on that. Today, when you present the gospel, not just to the world, but even to the church today, it's a a mystery. Wait, are are you trying to tell me that my good doesn't outweigh my bad? That I'm getting to heaven. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good guy. I'm not going to heaven. Look, look, I give the church money every week. I'm not going to heaven. If you don't know Jesus, and I, I mean the word no to experience him, to be born again by the spirit of God. I'm sorry, my friend, as much as I love you, I can't, I'm not making with the gospel message. Man and woman and child, they need to be born again in order to go to, the, in order to enter into the kingdom of God. What did he say to Nicodemus? Marvel not what I say unto you. Don't you dare give it a second thought. Again, the way Paul and and I'll read a couple of the verses that I dug up for you. Paul felt like it, it, he was a steward over the gospel. He, he would use, he would say this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Do you ever think about it like that, Christian? 
that that gospel was committed to you? Listen, it wasn't even committed to angels. Angels angels still look down with perplexity and go, what's going on down there? He's on his knees. He's crying out to you. You've changed his life. Angels can't be saved. You and I, if you come up to me and you say, man, God just came into my heart. He changed my life. I could high-five you. I could hug. I could hug you. I could just love you. I understand that. But when that happens... There has been a great responsibility given to you and I as Christians to be stewards of the gospel that's been entrusted to us. He, verse 13, again, if you'll just, I'll read it out of the old King James, which is my favorite. He called his ten servants, delivers the ten pounds, and he said, and here's the word, occupy. Now, you and I, we don't think of the word occupy the way they did back then. When we think of occupying, you know, it's sort of like I occupy my evening by, by reading novels. Or you might hear it, I, I have occupied this house for 20 years. Or I have occupied an office for so many years. You know, military uh, is a military term about occupying a land, you know. But in biblical days, that word occupy, and that's why the new King James seems to be more accurate, it literally means Trade until I come, you know, uh, T-R-A-D, you know, E, not trader, you know, but trade, expand, enlarge it. And again, looking at this parable, every one of his servants, his own servants, was given the responsibility to do that. And, it, and one translation says, just do business till I come. And, you know, you're not challenged with that that kind of pointed out exhortation, you know, but this is exactly why people kind of want to skirt around this, or they want to try to make it, well, he's just talking about gifts, certain gifts of the Spirit, or calling, or anointing, but he's not. He's talking about those who are his servants all have equal opportunity to share it, to share the good news. Um... Matthew chapter 25 is that parable about talents. He gave five talents to one guy. He gives two talents to another servant. He gives one talent to another. And they were to use their gifts and their callings um, for the furthering of his kingdom. But that's not what he's talking about here. Not, a, not at all. If we have been changed. Now here's where it gets a little serious. If we have indeed been changed, and that's what the gospel does, it changes us. It's the power unto salvation. You're on a different road. Can I be bold enough to challenge you with this thought? If your life has not been changed since you've received Christ, I would seriously consider whether I was saved or not. Well, you can't judge enough. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you there's something so powerful within the gospel message with Christ coming in, resurrecting you to a different life. Your life will be changed. You know the one area that I saw my life changing? I was such a depressed kid. Even going through high school, I was always like fighting fear and fighting depression. Anybody like that? But when Jesus came in, 
I started to experience a joy that when I smiled, my, my cheeks hurt, and I wasn't smoking. It was something about joy. Reading through the Bible as a young Christian, joy unspeakable, joy full of his glory. I went, oh, I know what that's like. There's something about it. Your life changes. Some people change, and it's a gradual change. But nonetheless, your life changes. But don't fool yourselves. Don't buy into the millennial theology that if God's got your number, he's got your number, and nothing's going to ever happen, and God's going to... No, no, no. God begins to conform us, transform us into his very image daily. And I love that about our Lord. You should be more like Jesus today than you were back in 1973. Hope I didn't offend anyone. If I did, just get over it. Now, (laughs) look, and I get it. Some people go, Harry, I can't share my faith. I'm so scared to even open my mouth. And I guess some, some people are timid that way. You know, but sometimes it just takes dying to self. It takes just dying to pride. Sometimes it's pride. It's not even fear. Sometimes it's insecurity. You're just insecure about yourself. You don't know. You know, <laughs> Joe, Joe would share with us one time, there's, there's three points to your, to your testimony. And if you can just memorize this, then you can testify to anyone. I was a jerk. I was going to hell and God saved me. <laughs> and if you got that down and it's genuine in your hearts, no matter, what a per, no matter who or, or what person comes to you and they're pouring out their hearts, you don't even have to be an expert. And whatever they're down with, whatever they're perplexed about, whatever dire straits they're going, oh, yeah, look, that's all I can tell you is I was a jerk. And I, but God saved me. And I, and, and, and I know I'm not going to hell anymore, and he loves you too. And it's amazing, just that simple three-point outline of your testimony, how people will start to reach out for God because they know they're a jerk, They know they're going to hell, but they know God loves them and can save them. Amen, guys? You don't have to tell this crazy, I was a hell's angel and I had some shotgun strapped to my back, you know, and uh, she used to drink nails with my beers, you know, but you don't have to have some kind of weird testimony like that. Noam Geisler once said that everybody has a baloney meter. They know if you're genuine or not. They do. And I don't say this pridefully. But there's something that I love hearing. Is, you know, Harry, I don't buy everything you said, but I know that you're genuine. You really believe this stuff. You really believe that Jesus died for you. And you really believe they put him in a rich man's tomb. And you got this crazy thing that he rose from the dead. I can see that. And it's genuine in your life. And even if, it's, if that's just this little seed that was planted, someone else might come along. Water that seed. But we have been given Amina. We have been given the gospel. It's all equal opportunity. 
I don't care how old you are in the Lord. I was talking to my grandson and his friend just last night at the dinner table, and I'm just marveling at, at, at the depth and what they're doing to serve the Lord. God is not like, I can only use those in their 50s. Oh, no, no. You know, no. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's, for time's sake, let's look at verse 14 with me. But it's citizens. Now, you know, before I go any further, but his citizen, it, it's reflective. And, it, and in, in the Greek, in the tense, it, it, it's not of his own. You remember I said he gave the mina out to his servants and that reflected servants that belonged to him? Well, this is a different word. This is something where, um, in the way it's written, that he, they don't belong to him. And thus the reason, we will not have you rule and reign over us. Now, remember I said a parable is a story that they're all familiar with? See, unless we really do a little bit of digging here, um, now I get it. See, prior to this, a short time before Jesus came into Jericho, there was a King Herod the Great. And Herod had just died. And he had sons, and one of them, Archelaus. And Archelaus was, um, well, he was not really well-liked. And uh, as soon as Herod had died, he became, I guess, like the nobleman. But he wanted more than just that title. He wanted to go to Caesar, Augustus at that time, and ask for the title of king. So the prominent Jewish leaders, when they heard Achilles was doing this, I think it was either 50 or 80 prominent Jewish leaders, they made their way to Rome as well, who, by the way, was um, intercepted by 8,000 more Jews. They made their way, the 8,000 plus now, to the Senate house, and they said, we will not have this man rule over us. And so, oh, I get that. And they, they never considered even Herod or Archelaus to be anyone to rule over them. And that's why he said they didn't belong to him. And then so that kind of gives you an idea. And they went, oh, man, that sounds just like this story about Herod and his son and all. So, again, it's a familiar story they're familiar with laid alongside a spiritual truth. But... um Prophetically, this parable shows us a few things. Well, number one, in John chapter 15, it says, and they love me without a cause. And they love me, you know, there are people who reject Jesus for no reason at all. They just don't want to do it. They can be the most, you know, nice, can be a very nice person and not wicked. I mean, he could be very friendly, but... You know, I, I, and again, I, I share a story that happened with my, my wife. We were flying home from somewhere together, and my wife, we had, couldn't sit next to each other, but she was next to this gentleman she was sharing the gospel with, and he seemed very pleasant and really, and he was, she's sharing her heart, you know, how much she can talk to anyone. And, um, and so finally, I meet her in the, in the lobby as we're exiting the plane, and the gentleman was standing there, so Jen, Erm does the next step and wants to invite her out. And he reaches over and he goes, well, that was good for you, honey. Pats her on the, and just walks away. Nicest guy in the world, but wants nothing to do with it. 
You know, that's, that's why. Listen, listen, guys, if you run across people like that, the best place, the best instrumental place for you is on your knees and start to pray that God would open their eyes. Just a measure of faith. Lord, just give them a measure of faith, you know. But, but again, it says that he sent delegations after him saying, we're not going to have this man rule over us. You know, I think of John chapter 19 as well. Um, when, when Jesus is on trial and he looks at the religious Pharisees and he goes, well, then what do you want me to do with your king? And if you remember the reply, it's shocking. He said, they said, we don't have any king except Caesar. And really Caesar wasn't their king anyway. How about the, the plaque over Jesus' head? He is the king of the Jews, written in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, I think. He's the king of the Jews. Well, they wanted to protest. Hey, don't say he said he's the king of the Jews. Just say he said he was a king of the Jews. He and our king. And they absolutely refused. They didn't want anything to do with it. And there's today, and people today, they struggle over anything that has to do with God. I mean, crying out loud, I just, again... um, they're starting to protest the nativity scene already. It's not even December. They're protesting. They don't want it on the our White House lawn, you know. And so they're protesting it already. How about Demario Davis? How many of you guys, is that a familiar name to you? New Orleans Saints wearing a headband called Man of God. You seen that in the news? If you have, raise your hand. Yeah. The NFL want to find him. $7,000 for wearing just a little bandana that says... Man of God. And it did. It went to the NFL court, whatever that is. Sounds like a kangaroo court to me. But, uh, but yeah, they, they said, now the guy can wear what he wants to wear. And you know what? It's like trying to throw water on a gasoline fire. You're only going to spread it. I kept reading this, these articles last night. And here within Nor- Nor- um, New Orleans, um, there's a whole school now wearing bandanas. But not just saying man of God. The kids of God. You know, all the kids are wearing kids of God and teachers are wearing women of God. And, you know, I'm going to make one for Bucky, dog of God, you know, or something. Oh, man, come on. Give me a break. Really? You, you, you can't stamp out God. You can't forbid people, you know. Listen, um... We know it says in verse 15, so that when he returns, having received the kingdom, and our Lord is coming back because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he says to the servants, the ones he gave the meanest to, the money to, call them. And, and he might, well, just to know how much he gained by trading. Remember, occupy till I come. And he says, listen, and this is important, verse 16. This is why I like IBS, inductive Bible study. You look at every word. Notice it says, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. It, it's yours. The gospel doesn't belong to us. You know, when we, when we think that this message belongs to, the, to us, that's when we'll try to make it more fancier. We'll try to manipulate things. We'll try to make it... Let's throw some smoke on the stage. Let's do some light shows. We can make this gospel more fancier. Uh, Romans, Paul said, no, it's the simple gospel, which is the power unto salvation. You don't have to do anything with it. Again, in verse 16, the first saying, your master has earned you more. And then the second, he said, well, in verse 17, well done, you're good. 
servant because you were faithful in a very little um, having authority, you'll have authority over 10 cities now. And we won't go into the millennial reign and the, the whole ruling and reigning thing there. But again, in verse 18, the same thing. Master, your mina has earned five more. And again, he says, well, great. Um, you, you also will be over five cities. Um, Paul did talk about being stewards over the, over the mysteries of God. Um, and because we are stewards, it's inevitable. Well, I mean, I mean it's... It's, you're, I don't even like talking about it. You know, you freely if you receive, freely you give it kind of thing. But the Bible teaches there's going to be a beam of seed of Christ and we will be rewarded for sharing the gospel. You know, there's something so powerful about the gospel. I can't stress that enough. You know, it's, okay, you can't do it. You're timid. You, you, maybe you've got to die to yourself, as I just said. Uh, but just carry some tracks around with you. You're not wordy ones. Did you ever get a track where the prince like this, I got to change glasses to read the darn thing? Just, in fact, let me tell you how powerful a track is. Back in the 70s during the movement, um, there was these things called chick tracks. I don't even know if they exist today. In fact, that's how I got saved, reading This Was Your Life. It was a cartoon chick track, right? But I got a stack of them one evening, and one of those tracks was called Somebody Loves You. I opened it, not one word in it. But it's all these pictures, like, you know, communicating. There was a little girl beat up by her dad who was a drunk, threw her out in the alley, was living in a box, died, the angels came down. I'm looking through this thing, I'm weeping by the time the angels are coming down. Right? And uh, I remember leaving them around, and I don't know why, my dad picked one up. And this is way before my, my pop gave his heart to the Lord. I remember him, I, his footsteps coming up. This is the most scariest thing. And uh, he would come up and he threw this track on my desk and he goes, I don't want these things laying around this house. And I realized he looked through it and he was so disturbed about that little somebody loves you track. Because telling people, you know, God loves you can be a very, especially to people who've been abused misused, you know, people who can't believe that God would love them. And sometimes it takes, the tracks are very powerful, but be careful. Be careful the ones you hand out. But again, sorry for that little sidetrack. Uh, verse 20 goes the other way. Master, here's your mina, which um, I have kept back away, away in, in a handkerchief. Literally, it's a sweat band. So he takes this coin Sticks it up there and goes, I'll just wait until he comes back. Basically, what he's saying there is, it's your fault that I live in this kind of fear. And then that's what it was. He was so fearful. He says, you're an austere man in verse 21. You know, you collect what you didn't deposit. You reap what you didn't sow. Basically, what he's saying, like, you don't like sloppiness. You're serious. You're severe. You know, so why would I even bother? You're going to do whatever you want to do anyway. Now you're thinking, okay, that's a pretty accurate interpretation. But that, that interpretation is happening today. When a certain theology, and I, I just don't want to offend anybody, basically, and I'm not sure, and I think it's the most evil thing to teach from a pulpit. Now you don't have to go out and witness. You don't have to let your light shine before man that they might say. You don't have to do any of that. 
you know, you just live a basic good life and let's have Bible studies wherever we can have Bible studies. And But you know what? God is an austere man. He's going to have his way. You know, he's going to do what he wants to do. And don't, don't, don't even bother. But yet, I read the Bible just like you do, and I don't see that. I don't completely understand the gospel to me is still a mystery. The church, the ecclesia, bought with his body. That's a still a mystery. I'm just glad I'm a part of it today. No. The Bible tells us to go into all the world. No, no, he only told the disciples. No, he's t- he tells us, all of us, to baptize, to make disciples, to go into all the world. That's Mar- that's Mar- uh, he says in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the mina. Preach it. Proclaim it. Hurl it more accurately. John 20, verse 1. Peace unto you. Right? No, I'm, pardon me. Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. After the resurrection. If everything was set in concrete at the resurrection, he wouldn't have sent his disciples into the world to preach the good news. Acts chapter 1, 8. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're going to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth. No, I think we are challenged. We're challenged to proclaim the gospel. Now listen, this isn't a real evil person. I don't think he's a wicked person. He's not some axe murderer, you know. And he maybe he was even polite about, look, I'm kind of afraid of you. I know you're an austere man. So, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. Anyway, you're going to have your own way. I don't know. That's why in verse 22 he says this. Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. Now tell me that doesn't have a sting in it. I, I never want to hear those words. You wicked servant, hair. Oh man, you would have to get me out of the loony bin or something. You knew that I was an austere man collecting where I didn't. At least that's what he thought. I did not deposit reaping where I didn't sow. Why then did, why didn't you just do the least thing possible? Just put my money in the bank. I would have at least gotten interest out of the thing. Just do something for crying out loud. Listen. And I've known them. Not here. People can be saved for 20 years. And when you ask them, you know, how many people have you shared the good news with? I really, I, I can't. I'm too afraid. Okay. Well, how many people did you just maybe leave a track with? You know, you come up to a toll booth, you just got to hand it and you're off. <laughs> but I can tell you this, and by experience, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Before you know it, man, you're talking to people left and right. I just, listen, it was a glorious time. Did my, what was it, 45, 45th high school reunion the other night. My goodness, I couldn't believe how many people were just open to hear the testimony and the gospel. There was guys coming up to me, had gotten saved from the last time. And I said, they're sharing the gospel with me. Just all you have to do is tell people, hey, I was a jerk. <laughs> I was going to hell. And then I got saved by a God that loves me so much. Listen, I'll finish with this one. Wow, my goodness. 
look, when he says down in 26, for I say to you, everyone who has, it will be given. Um, From him who does not have, it will be taken. You know what he's talking about? And we get this from the other parables he taught. He that hath ears to hear, more will be given. The guy that doesn't have ears to hear, less will he receive. That's what he means by that. But this morning, you have ears to hear. You're hearing me. And maybe some of you, even now, you're going, you know what? I haven't been sharing my faith. I haven't been sharing, you know, what Jesus has done in my life. And you know what? Let's stand together. As Terry and Nancy leads us out in our uh, last song, stand with me. Let's make that a, just a congregational prayer, right? We're going to ask God to begin to stir our hearts, to open up doors that no man can close. We're going to ask God, really, that may, you know, that compellingness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? I wonder where I would be today. Think about this. If my crazy brother didn't come up to me and tell me that God loves me. No, the very first thing he said to me, I discovered that we have a father that loves us because we we didn't grow up in that kind of house, you know. And I said, who? What? What are you talking about? Father in heaven, Harry, loves us. He loves us so much that he would become a man. What? He would go and die on the cross. Why? So that he would take our sin. That he would take our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He'll never dredge them up and remember them again. Come on, bro. That's too good to be true. Yeah, and all you have to do is listen. He said, listen. I went, listen to what? He goes, he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. So he started getting all revelation on me. And you know, I didn't buy it at first. I threatened to kill him. I threatened to you keep this Jesus stuff. 1973. I didn't have a real bandana, but I had man of God up there. Because I received the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior, man. You might be here today. And you're really thinking, if I live just a good enough life, I'll get in. But you won't. You got to belong to him. Receive the gospel message. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Believe in your heart. God is raised from the dead. Confess with your mouth. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Thou shalt be saved. It's not rocket science, folks. But that's not what this message is really about. It's about you and me as, as servants of the living God. And the question is, are we sharing that which he gives and trusts to us? Are we stewards of it? So as we lead it, as Tara leads us out, think of the one person you're going to come into contact with tomorrow. Now all of a sudden you go, oh, I don't, slip a track in a sandwich. I don't care. But get the gospel to him. Amen. Terry, will you lead us out, brother? You're my Lord. You don't need words for this. Just sing.